Hello and welcome back to the final instalment of The Deadly Assassin in this new Perpetual Outsider podcast. My name is John Bensalia and I might be uh, slipping into voices of uh, Spandrel or Engin or the Master, I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll try not to do that too much. Um, but anyway, here we go. We're about to go into part four where we left the Doctor finished, apparently. So I will count me everybody in in five four, three, two, one, here we go. With a reprise from the previous episode, which I, I don't know if they kept in the, um, in the repeat, actually. I'm, I'm not sure if they faded up just as the Doctor was getting out of the water or not, I don't know. Um, I, fortunately, I was, I was too young to remember it. I would have been coming up to three years old. So, uh, yeah, still too young to really kind of watch this kind of thing. Yeah, here we go. Mary Whitehouse splashing tea and cake at the walls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can understand why David Maloney cast Bernard Horsfall, because he, you know, he's very convincing here. Poles apart from the, you know, Gulliver in the Mine Robber, or as the Kindly Taran in Planet of the Daleks, you know, he's, he's a vicious sadist here. You know, that, you know, that finished Doctor Your Finish bit is, uh, is brilliant. But unfortunately, he's hit over the head and now um, the master is uh, going to fry him alive. Goff barbecue. Goff kebabs. I remember I used to record... Um... <laughs> I was trapped him in the Matrix. <laughs> I remember you used to record um, the, the Doxy videos on audio tape, um, you know, because I, I didn't have a TV or video of my own. So I'd, I'd listen to them on, you know, on my stereo upstairs. Uh, sack if I was. Um, and unfortunately, I discovered the power of a high-speed dubbing, which speeds everything up. So, and, and for some bizarre reason, I always laugh at speeded up things. And so hearing the master speed it up was just, um, it, it just used to make me laugh like a train. <laughs> and I, I think there was a clip on YouTube, I think, of um, they, they sped some scenes from Doctor Who up and they actually had uh, had the master when he was uh, by the Eye of Harmony and it still sounded absolutely ridiculous. Not beaten, that. non-smoking kebab and the doctor's back in safe and sound by the skin of his teeth really he's um it's uh again the story is it's changing all the time and we're kind of into the more kind of conventional wrap-up really it's more of a kind of um just kind of wrapping up the loose ends really in this part and uh maybe it does lack the, the surrealism and the uh, and the horror of previous episodes, but um, but it, it, this is still very good drama. I think it's still you know a, a good solid final episode. I think. Of course, you know, if everybody talks about the Matrix these days because of the film. Do you know what? I still have, I've not actually seen the Matrix. I know I know I'm committing heresy even as I speak those words, but I've never actually probably seen the Matrix. 
it's just one of those movies that just never really appealed because it's just kind of it just kind of seems so oh what's the word um contrived you know it, it's you know it's it's a movie that seems to be too kind of heavily you know it's it's more about the effects i think is what i'm trying to say in my own inarticulate way it's it's more about the effects rather than the story so i've i've, I've never really been tempted to see it to be honest but so I, I, I do wonder if they pinched the idea from uh from the matrix and the deadly assassin i don't know master apparently dead goth about to be very dead bernard horsfall doing the dying bit very well it's not really very easy to do kind of deathbed acting, you know. You have to gurgle a lot and speak in this croaky rasp like your like your vocal cords have just been burnt out. Whether or not uh, there'll be a missing adventure about Goth meeting the Master on Tercerus, or whether there actually is, I don't, I don't know. For all I know, there could be actually. But there, there's a backstory crying, crying out to be explored if it hasn't been done already. Yeah, that gurgling there is yeah, it's quite grim. And uh, some, some good burn makeup there. And presumably he's uh, too weak to regenerate, I guess. Which does beg the question, you know, do... Um, can time laws regenerate after this? You know, like Goth and uh, Runcible and Hillred later. They obviously, um, they're too badly damaged to actually be able to regenerate, I suppose. Bye-bye, uh, Goth. I, I like the doctor's line here. No answer to a straight question, typical politician. <laughs> I think when you think about it, that you know the fourth doctor is full of all these catchphrases that are still adopted today, like that that one. I mean, I've you know I've been on social media and I've put that sort of thing on Twitter, you know, with a caption in relation to the. Um, the sorry excuse for politicians that we've got right now and the other one is in the face of evil with the um the very powerful and the very stupid of one thing in common that's kind of almost become like a um uh what do you call it a meme a meme a meme or a meme i, I don't know how you pronounce it i don't know I'm, I'm not down with the kids enough you know but all all of these um all of these things could be you know, they could apply to modern society. And, and maybe that's another reason why, you know, I'm a big fan of Tom's Doctor, because of all these kind of, you know, what we're unassuming philosophies at the time are actually still relevant today. And th this is actually very relevant, all of this um, rewriting of new, you know, fake news. I mean, we, we encounter it every day in the media, pretty much, you know, all this all this rewriting of history and telling lies and, you know, God knows, you know, you get enough of that with a bloody prime minister at the moment. He's constantly lying through his teeth, you know, lies as easily as he breathes oxygen. And it's, it's quite, quite eerie how they're preempting all this stuff. It's, it, Deadly Assassin is a story that is very much ahead of its time, not just in the way that it's made, but also in some of its themes and its content as well. You know, this, you know, this rewriting news and, 
manipulating the facts to make um, bad guys into heroes, which is pretty much what every right-wing paper does today, I think. Okay, enough political ranting over. I'll try. <laughs> He's good, actually, Angus. Angus Mackay is Bruce. I haven't really talked a great deal about him. He's um, he's good. I, I think my favourite Bruce, I think, is John Arnott in The Invasion of Time. I think I think he he to me he he is the definitive definitive Bruce. But I, I, I like Angus Mackay's performance in this. I think it's very good. He'd um, he'd come back in Morgan Undead as the headmaster without the uh, the headgear. Whether or not the uh, the headmaster is Bruce in disguise, I don't know. Or maybe he's the Black Guardian in disguise. Who can tell? I mean, you know, again, that's ahead of its time. Those kind of um, those risk communicators. I mean, you know, we can communicate via, you know, phones and God knows what these days. You know, it's it's available at the press of a button. So, yeah, quite quite ahead of its time. This one. And of course, Engin's going to make some drinks. I don't know what that looks like. Is that like a what does he drink? Is it is it water or cocktail? I, th I think it's a cocktail. I think Engin's be making cocktails on the quiet here. Or maybe it's just lemon squash. I don't know. Yeah, here we go. And there's the uh, twelfth regeneration reference. But the good thing is, that I don't think Robert Holmes makes a big thing of it. He, do, he doesn't kind of, he, do, he doesn't make the whole story about Gallifrey mythology. He, um, the most important thing is to tell a good, coherent story, and he does that really well. And if he can, you know, slip in a few bits of mythology while telling that story, then I, I, I think that works, and I think that's perfectly fair game, I think. And we've got, you know, Rassilon as well. I've got to. Th I think this is the first mention of Rassilon. I think actually. I'm just trying to remember. I don't think they mention. No, I'm. I'm pretty sure that it's um, first mention of Rassilon. Um, if if I'm wrong, then correct me and um, you know, shoot me down with a stays bolt or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I like the sardonic humour of. Of Spandra. I, th I think it would be lost with future versions of the Castellan. You know, Kel you know, Castellan Kelner is quite, you know, Weasley toad kind of character. You know, he's kind of a Uriah Heap kind of deal. And the Castellan of the of the uh, of the eighties just has no sense of humour whatsoever. He's just a you know a um a dull jobs worth really. He he's got absolutely no sense of humour whatsoever. But, at you know, at least in The Deadly Assassin, there is room for a little bit of humour. And we're about to hear Helen Blatch, who was in The Twin Dilemma. And may my bones rot for not mentioning her earlier. <laughs> I think she was also in Power Play in uh, the Blake 7 episode when uh, she was in charge of an organisation that was uh, an organ bank. They were going to harvest Villa and Callie's organs. Of course, the sobering thing about Deadly Assassin is, to my knowledge, I think all the guest cast uh, are no longer with us, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, Helen Blatch and 
Hugh Walters, you know, who played Runcible, passed away um, and a, a few years ago now, actually. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's quite a sobering thought. And as Tom Baker says on one of the DVD commentaries, experiences like this, we're actually being entertained by the dead. And there's so much archive TV out there where none of the main characters or the guest cast are no longer are no longer alive. It's um, yeah, but a bit of a sobering thought, really. Now let's open Touchwood. Tom Baker is with us for a few more years yet. You know, he's still still around at eighty eight, and uh, you know, let's hope he lives for a few more years yet. Try coughing an aldehyde. Try saying that three times. Mm. As if he didn't. As if the master is actually going to kill himself. <laughs> like the doctor said, he's not his style at all. Um, it's it's quite eerie to see, you know, this skull faced master. He's he's literally like, you know, the the living dead that rises again is is real horror movie stuff this and of course he uh throttles hero coming down here and reduces him to an action man doll but um yeah the master's voice is a little bit comical you know i'm come to it in a minute you know because it, he's about to give his big speech to the doctor <clears throat> Why doesn't he just take the sash? <laughs> he could just easily lift the sash off, um, you know, the president, just like that. But of course he doesn't. Irid! No. <laughs> Amazing! <laughs> Maybe I should have done this commentary in, you know, Spandrel and Egg in a master voice, as I don't know. I like the doctor's description here of um, you know how we delay an execution to pull the wings of a of a fly. Yeah, this time, doctor, the execution will not be delayed. Castellan, I assure you, I'm not nearly so firm as I look. <laughs> now you bring me the sash of Rassilon. <laughs> well, he says, you know, bring me the sash of Rassilon, and then he goes into this uh, big long. The explanation. When God failed me. <laughs> but the sash is wasted on our dead friend, don't you think so? Bring it to me. I mean, surely he can overpower those two old duffers, couldn't he? You know, I mean, it's really, the, you know, the doctor that's, that's the danger. <laughs> I think part of, if there is one criticism of that mask is that the mouth is quite inflexible. You know, you, you don't really see his lips move. <laughs> There's a scapegoat for the killing of a president. Who else but your doctor? So insufferably compassionate. Insufferably compassionate, yeah. <laughs> I wanted you to die in ignominious shame and disgrace. <laughs> his, his voice is just ridiculous. Oh, you get the sack. <laughs> Stunned. 
<laughs> yeah, I shouldn't. I'm, I'm sure kids. Uh, I'm sure kids found that um, scary, but uh, I, I don't know. He's he's just a little bit comical, I think. Um, but there you go. Um, but yeah, what can I say? <laughs> Another and you know another thing I haven't really talked about is the lighting and it's um and it's done really well. I've got a feeling it's Brian Clement who did Pyramids of Mars, and he works wonders. You know with you know not drowning it in you know sort of uh, very bright lights. You know keep, you know especially that you know the, like the catacombs of where the master is. You know, all these you know eerie greens and uh, turquoises as well. You know re really good really good imaginative imaginative lighting. It's great. I mean, to accomplish what you can in a in a small BBC studio is is quite remarkable, really. If you've got a good director, then you can uh, you can keep the action barreling along, really. See, what I don't get, um, jumping ahead of myself here, the TV movie. Why does the Doctor have the Eye of Harmony aboard the TARDIS? I mean, the Eye of Harmony is on Gallifrey. I mean, what? I mean, either it was just very bad continuity, a bad continuity lapse on the part of the writer, or the Doctor's actually pinched the Eye of Harmony and used it as a centerpiece to press the ladies. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know why. Just very, you know, very strange. TV movie, of course. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I'll be commenting on that. Or not. <laughs> I mean, in case I hadn't explained it before, um, the Perpetual Outsider podcast, it's really more to do with um, uh, the, the classic era of Doctor Who, which, which I'll be looking at. Um, and, you know, other classic TV from, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, but all being well, I might, I might be starting my own uh, Patreon page. And um, as a special extra, I, I may do commentaries for the, for the New Who episodes. Although they might be slightly more critical, I don't know. <laughs> but we'll have to see. It, it, it depends how this one goes, you know. See uh, if, uh, if I can get more than one listener, which is um, probably the limit of my ambition, I think, really. Good music here from Dudley, actually. Although it, do, it, do, it does sound a little bit like um, the music was in Planet of the Daleks when the Doctor and, uh, the Doctor and Joe race back to the TARDIS at the end of the, the, um, the episode in, when they're in the jungle. This, this sounds like a more bombastic, dramatic version of that. Of course, Murray Gold, the, you know, would just swamp it with, you know, an orchestra turn up to the max, Shrieking choirs, Murray's pompous choir. But you know, the great thing about Dudley Simpson is that he knows how to, you know, it's it's effective music that doesn't kind of intrude on it, if uh, if you see what I mean. For our discovery. Oh my I'm sure I read somewhere that somebody thought he said Rassilon's discovery. Oh boy! <laughs> I mean, it's all mine, but you know, I suppose you know the master does make it sound like oh boy. 
<laughs> Good handheld camera work there from uh, from Vader Maloney to compensate for the polystyrene boulders falling down. And this this is good stuff, actually. I mean, it's uh, you know, like like I said, it's doing its best on a you know a very limited budget, really. Except for none of your knee in a grave. <laughs> Even an extremist, I wear the sash of Rassilon. <laughs> Shut up, John. <laughs> uh, he just looks funny when he does that. You lie! <laughs> he sort of comically looks down like that. <laughs> oh, oh, he's he's gonna give that uh, that supposed scream in a minute, but he, he sounds more like a man uh, who's just reached the toilet in time, actually. <laughs> and that music's uh, um, it's sand mining music, I call it, because it's in the. Um, they use it again in Dudley uses it again in the Robots of Death. It's very, very good music. Oh no, here we go, he's the Master Scream. <laughs> 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 I mean what is Oh! <laughs> oh, it makes me laugh. Oh, oh, I don't know. Well, I found it funny anyway. Um, so we're coming up to the end of a deadly assassin now, and what a great story! I, I think it still holds up remarkably well after nearly 46 years I, I think it it's a great piece of tv and i think in terms of pushing the boundaries in the way that doctor who could be made i, I think uh i think it works extremely well you know with his you know the unusual you know going back in time you know forward you know forwards in time as well and uh, and just the sheer ease of, with which it switches between storytelling genres you know between you know like crime and uh uh, the whodunit aspect and the surrealism and the action adventure and the fight to the death. Um, it's it's wonderful. The, the the great thing about the deadly assassin, I think, is that there's something uh, there's something for everyone. There's something here to satisfy all tastes. You know, wh whatever your your favourite kind of film is or favourite kind of TV program is or story. He was dying anyway. <clears throat> It's kind of a shame he didn't take them on as companions. Um, that that would have been quite funny, but I suspect it probably would have worked out. <laughs> and we would have been denied Leela, of course, which, uh, no. No, no, they definitely made the right call with Leela. But I, d I do like Engin's, goodbye, goodbye, Doctor. <laughs> I'll be to the universe, but you'll know what? I think it isn't big enough for the two of them. <laughs> I don't really understand why um, the the master is clearly not as decrepit as he was earlier. 
and yet he's back to being decrepit again in um, Keeper Charkin, which I, which I don't really get. But uh, maybe it didn't really work out quite as well. Anyway, what a masterpiece! What a masterpiece! Brilliant story, and, and one that stands up several pieces of viewings. I think I, I could watch this over and over again and not get bored. And I probably have watched it over and over again many times since 1991. Anyway, that was my very first uh, Perpetual Outsider podcast. Apologies, it seemed a bit, a little bit stumbling and awkward. I'm still trying to kind of uh, get my head around it. But uh, anyway, thank you for joining me and um, see how this one goes. And I might, might do another. You never know your luck. Or bad luck, I don't know. But in the meantime, uh, this is me, John Bensalia, saying cheerio. Goodbye.